Good morning, Seven Mile. It's good to see everybody today. We just got back from a great men's retreat where it was just awesome to just go to the scriptures, learn from the scriptures, learn from the Spirit of God, and really seek how we can love our wives better, love them how Christ has loved the church. So one thing that should have happened on Saturday night, you should have got a complimentary back rub because we promoted those on the retreat. If you didn't get a back rub, your husband wasn't listening. Also, I was reaffirmed that we have men at Seven Mile. We played a football game, and Matt Cruz acts like he doesn't stack the teams, but I swear the night before he's doing stats. Everyone 6'2 and over with an arm was on one team. Everyone 5'8 and under, almost everyone, was on my team. And you quickly realize they had four QBs, and we had about 18 wide receivers that couldn't throw more than 10 yards. Every pass they threw, we were four, the defender was four feet shorter, so they made the pass. And Chris Coughlin laid out for a ball perfectly parallel to the ground that he had no chance of getting. And we all know hidden man law is you lay out. Even if you have no chance of getting it, you have to lay out. I did that in ping pong, and I dove behind the foosball table and tried to get that ball back up. And Dave said you would have had it if it wasn't for the foosball table. It wasn't true. I was just trying to be faithful to being a man. You also realize that there's a lot of in-the-closet snorers who are men at Seven Mile. I didn't think that Joffrey was one of them. But me and Dave led him into our room, and we were playing ping-pong late night. We came in, and he looked like he hijacked a 10-year-old girl's blanket. He had it really taut on the bed. It had, like, ballerinas and flowers on it. And he was snoring away with no blanket. So I figured if I got him a pillow, it might help to no avail. About 1.30, me and Dave got some earplugs. That didn't help. We ended up leaving the room. That almost didn't help until we turned on the exhaust fan. Then finally we got to sleep about 2 o'clock. But with all that said, we had a great men's retreat. And we really got to learn um, from God's word. And it was just so encouraging to see so many men who were up there eager It wasn't like we were burdened to be up there. We were eager to learn how to love our wives better and how to love our future wives better. And it was just a blessing to my heart. And so today we're going to talk about God's mercy, how God is perfectly merciful. And so every week I've been hearing these moral perfections of God. And so I heard that God was holy. And I'm like, absolutely, I agree with that. I heard that God was just. Absolutely, I agree with that. But then we get into God being merciful, and that's harder for me to not so much comprehend but accept. You know, because I look at myself first, and I think, I don't deserve mercy. And sometimes I am, and I'm sure many of us are guilty of being pagan-minded and creating God in our image instead of looking to the scriptures to understand God. And so we look at ourselves and we see that we're not merciful. That when someone crosses us one time, we make statements like, I'll give you one chance, that's it, no mercy. I heard someone just say that two weeks ago. And so it's hard for us to accept that God is merciful and gracious to us if we're looking inward. But thank God that we have the scriptures to hear the pure, unadulterated, 
spirit-breathed word of God who really teaches us, the word really teaches us who God is. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to turn to the scriptures to hear who God really is. Not who we think he is, but who we know he is through the scriptures. And not only do we have the scriptures to teach us that, and we know that it's ultimate truth and that we can bank our life on it, but we also have our own experiences. And so I'm really speaking to the redeemed children of God today because we have experienced his mercy. And for those who don't believe, you will learn from the word that God is merciful, but really focusing in on those who have received mercy and sometimes you have to go back, even though we, reser- we receive mercy and grace every day. You have to go, there's moments in our life where we receive such mercy that it really changes the trajectory of our life. And so I just want to share one of those moments. And some people who are in my soul care might have already heard it. And some of the pastors have already heard it. And I don't like sharing it, but I'm going to because I think it's helpful in this situation. Now, mercy is undeserved. We don't deserve mercy. So when we receive it from God, it changes our life. And so when I was a senior in high school, I was not following God. There was a party at the end of the summer. It was a party where all the seniors came to, a graduation party. There was drinking involved, and we were doing things we shouldn't have been doing. And there was a dude there who ripped this girl's shirt in the party. And I've always been a guy that felt that just always wanted justice and always wanted to protect women and children. That's just something that's in me. It bothers me so much when a man takes advantage or abuses a woman or child. That makes me go crazy. And so it happened at this party that we ended up beating this kid up, me and a few of my friends, so bad that he went to the hospital. I mean, and I've heard horrible stories of this happening and people losing their life. So it was a situation where he got hurt really bad. I got in trouble with the law, and this could have changed my life forever. I could have went to jail for years, and I deserved it because I broke the law. I broke the law, and I hurt another human being, and this could have changed my life forever. I could have been serving time. Worse, the kid could have died. But God showed me great mercy. Instead of this becoming a moment where my life would be changed forever, where I wouldn't be where I am now, number one, knowing the mercy and grace of God, number two, having a wonderful wife, number three, having wonderful kids, number four, having a wonderful church, and being able to be part of this redemptive work of Christ. Instead of me going to jail, God used it to show me so much mercy that it changed my life forever. That moment changed my life because I received mercy instead of wrath. I deserved wrath. I deserved more punishment than I got. But I received mercy. And that broke me. And that changed me. And I learned that it wasn't anything that I do that causes me to change. It's what God has done for me. The mercy that he has shown me that has changed me and continues to change me daily. So, the big idea is that God is merciful, not because of anything we deserve, but because he is perfectly merciful. And this mercy is not deserved and can't be earned. 
But it's gonna, it has changed us for all of eternity. So we're going to go to Genesis 3. And it's funny that we're going here. I'm sure as Matt was reading that, many of you are saying, what does the story of the fall of mankind when we rebelled against God, we look at the story and we say, all I see is judgment and wrath. God has to be just because he's holy. They broke the rules. He cast them out of the garden. They will ultimately die. Why the heck are we going here to talk about God being perfectly merciful? It's because upon closer investigation, when you look at the story, you will see God's mercy intertwined through the whole thing. It's his first, the first time that he can be merciful towards us as image bearers of God. Because we had not broken the law. Adam and Eve have not gone astray. They had not rebelled. Therefore, we, they did not deserve wrath. But now they deserved wrath. But God instead shows mercy all through this story. So first I want us to see this. God has created a perfect paradise. He has created Adam and Eve in his image. He created Adam first and he blesses him with Eve. They're living it up. They're walking around naked. They're unashamed. Perfect paradise. Naming animals. Living life. God is fellowshipping with them. He's walking them with them. He's caring for them. He's their father. They break his law. He tells them one thing. I know many of us say, come on, man. Did you have to eat that apple? If I was there, I wouldn't have went near the tree. Every one of us would have done the same thing. I know, Adam, that's a big burden to carry. Talk about trying to get rid of some guilt. But to look at God's mercy, this happens. They rebel. They want to be like God. They don't listen to him when he's only cared for them. We do not see God instantly destroy them. He does not instantly pour down his wrath and destroy them and wipe them off the face of the earth. We see even if the way he's dealing with Adam and Eve, he comes and he's dialoguing with them. He's asking them questions that he already knows the answers to. He's caring for them. And even when he casts them out of the garden, he continues to be their God. Adam lived 900 and something years. I don't know about you guys or what he was eating, but that's a good life. That's a good life. He experienced. So his, now we're lucky if we get to see our great-grandchildren, even our grandchildren. He's going great, great, great on us. And just experienced so much life with his family. He's experienced the harvest. God is still blessing him. And Eve and his future family with grace. God is still showing his mercy. Secondly, we see God who is a loving father and who is compassionate, compassionate towards his children. He makes garments for them. You think a God who is angry? They don't deserve. Why are you making clothes for them? Just get them out of there. Who cares about them? They rebelled against you. You gave them everything. They deserve wrath. You're holy. They broke the law. They deserve wrath. But no, he clothes his children. He's still caring for them. And it's the, right away we see that blood is shed. Because sins have been committed. He didn't just find skins laying on the side of the road. There were animals who were killed to get those skins to clothe Adam and Eve. And this is why I want us to read, if we could just turn to Genesis 3, 14 through 19. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. 
On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So the woman said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bear, bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat, all, eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That's pretty heavy. There's curses going on there. There's punishment going on there. But if you look closer, you see something unbelievably merciful. In Genesis 3.15, you see the first proclamation of the gospel. You see God proclaiming that Christ is coming. They call this the proto-evangelion. See, I call Justin when I got to pronounce those words to make sure I got it all right. You see God proclaiming that he will send a Messiah who will crush the head of Satan. You see, even in this fall, even in this rebellion, that God is being merciful and he's proclaiming the gospel. He's starting to get us ready and saying, you are not alone. I will send one who will save you from the curses of sin, the curse of sin and of death. And today, you know, as we get ready, the Christmas carols are coming out, so we know it's coming. We're getting ready for the coming of this Savior, the coming of Christ. So we see that God is merciful to us. I want us to understand this too. That God is not merciful because we deserve it. God's mercy starts with him being merciful. It is a a moral perfection of his. It is who he is. He is merciful because that is who he is. Some of us believe that God has to be merciful. We deserve it. Some of us have high views of ourselves. I'm one of those people who deserves mercy. I mean, I, I studied in high school. I didn't go out and do bad things. I deserve mercy. I'm one of the good people. No. A famous uh, French free thinker before he died was heard uttering these words. God will forgive me. That's his job. No. If God poured wrath on every single one of us for disobeying him, and for willfully choosing to be our own gods, he would be perfectly just. There would not be one of us who could say, God is not fair. But God, who is rich in mercy, has chose to be merciful to us because of who he is, because of the love that he has for us. Let's turn to Ephesians 2 so we can see this, really, in scriptures, in the scriptures. And Paul is writing this to people who have been redeemed in the church, who have been saved by God and awakened to the gospel, who are now part of his body. He says, And you were dead in in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. What do we see there? God who is rich in mercy. Not he has a little bit of mercy or average mercy. He's rich in mercy. It's overflowing. It's abundant. And this is what I also want us to look at. Do you see a candidate for mercy out of that description there? Let's go it. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were following the course of this world. You were following Satan. You were children of wrath. You were living in the passions of your flesh and your mind, living carnally. Does that sound like a people who deserve the mercy of God? That's like an employer, have an employee who's late every day to work, doesn't meet any of his deadlines, doesn't do any of his projects, doesn't get along with anyone, doesn't respect the boss, and you call him in the office and say, listen, I want to give you a promotion. I want to give you a promotion, not only a promotion, I want to give you a lifetime contract in 12 weeks of vacation. It's undeserved. There's nothing in him that he should deserve that promotion. There's nothing in us that we deserve the mercy of God. Now, since God is holy and his holiness demands justice, who gets what we deserve? Jesus. Every sin we have ever committed and will commit fell upon Jesus on the cross. And it was for his glory and our joy that he did that. He took the penalty that was ours to bear. He absorbed the wrath of God so that we might receive God's mercy. We would not experience the mercy of God if it was not for the Son of God who gave his life for us. Thirdly, I want us to see there is nothing we can do to earn the mercy and the grace of God. There's nothing sadder than we see a Christian running around with his, like a chicken with his head cut off, trying to earn the love and the grace and the mercy of God. So many of us have done it. We don't believe that God is merciful because we think it starts with us. But he is merciful and he has loved you and he has finished the work. And that mercy has become the launching pad for your transformation. You become more like Christ because he has loved you first. And we see this in the process of salvation. That we didn't get to a certain point or do so many good things that now God will save us. God loved us before that. He chose us before the foundation of the world. Not based on any merit or any work of man. He chose us based on his love that we would know him. Then he awakened our hearts to the power of the gospel. And yes, we did participate. We responded to that grace and we received that grace. But God gets all the glory. He gives us the Holy Spirit who will cause us to persevere and will keep us until the day of full redemption. It is all God. It is all his mercy. And that's why we have been saved. Let's read Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, so we can see this in the scriptures. For by grace you have been saved. 
through faith. And this is not our own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We live in a kingdom where there's no room for boasting. In heaven, there's not going to be one guy who said, man, thank God I quit cigarettes yesterday before I died. I'm getting in. Thank God I went to church 52 times this year. All those people who went 40 and under, they're not getting in. Thank God I prayed that much and I stopped watching that show. I'm getting through the pearly gates. Everyone is going to be broken and worshiping the God of mercy because we will fully realize that it was nothing in us that deserved this eternal salvation. But we will worship the God of grace who laid down his life for us that we might know mercy. In all of eternity, we will glory in the God of mercy. Now, this was hard, like I said, for me to get. When I first got saved, man, I tried. it was still God's grace, but I just didn't figure it out. I'd say, yeah, God put a lot of grace and mercy out on me, but I lived like someone who was earning his salvation. So I put a lot of legalistic restrictions on myself. I know this isn't big at Seven Mile Road, but I stopped watching TV for a, a year. You start talking to people at Seven Mile like, I don't have TV. I don't pay for cable. Why do you waste your time on such foolish things? But for me, that's a big deal. I like my shows. I like watching the Celts. I like walking the Pats. I'm going to put a beat down on Dub Bears. Dan likes that one. But I love it. And so I stopped doing that. And I lived like someone that was earning God's mercy. And I looked down on other people if they weren't living like me. Because I saw myself someone who was saved by works. Someone who finally repented and turned to God and was earning his salvation every week. And I, I felt like I lost my salvation at least 27 times a week. There's nothing worse than that. You know, another altar call I got to go to for the 35th time that year. Going to get saved. What are you doing? Going to get saved again, man. It's not based on any of that. It's based on God's mercy. That's why it's great news. If it was based on our works, this is horrible news. I wouldn't be a preacher. How can I get up and preach that when I have to live with myself every day? And I know the truth that we fall short. And there's only one who could have fulfilled the law. And that's Jesus Christ. Know that this is truth. That he has saved you. You do not have to worry about him leaving or forsaking you. Because he's a merciful God who will never leave or forsake you. He's going to hold you for all eternity. And no one can take you out of the hands of this loving father. This merciful God. So how does this apply to our life? We know that God is merciful. That we can't earn it. We don't deserve it. That we can just receive it. This should break us. It should break us. We should turn to God in adoration and praise him with all our hearts, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Not only this morning as we respond in song, but with our whole life. We should live and worship as children who have been loved by a merciful God. This mercy should cause us to change, like I said. Because when we see God for who he is, this changes us. We don't wake up trying to earn our salvation, but we wake up loved. 
knowing that God is going to complete the work that he started in us. And he's going to see it to the end. And he's going to convict us. And he's going to change us. And he's going to teach us. And he's going to guide us. And he's going to be merciful to us. Thirdly, it causes us to be merciful to others. Not based on if they live up to our expectations or if they hurt us. We've received so much undeserved mercy and grace that we were swarmed by loving people in the same way. Some of us need to forgive people who have hurt us and to show them mercy. Some of us have held on to bitterness for so many years and it's time to show them mercy because we've realized how much mercy God has shown us. So Seven Mile, I just encourage you to live in this mercy. Worship God knowing that he's merciful and gracious and that he loves us. And that this love is never going away because it is him who pursued us first. It is him who was merciful and who has loved us. Let's live in that truth. Amen. Amen. Father, I just thank you that this is true. That we don't have to get up there and hope that it's true or wish that it's true or pray that it's true. But that this is true. That you're merciful and you're gracious and you love us. And our salvation is based on you, not us. And that we have been reconciled to you. Help us to live in that truth, Lord. Help us to understand that better. I just thank you, Lord, for who you are. Amen.